Hi folks, I'm Mark Fallows and this is the Impossible Network podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. And please leave a rating and a review because it helps more people find us. If you want to find out more of what we get up to, or suggest who we interview next, follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Network, or visit theimpossiblenetwork.com. Okay, let's get started. There's such a value in bringing people together and bringing people together around helping each other helping the public you know whatever that is supporting each other it's why we're here Mm -hmm. you know it really is born and raised in new york to an american mother and danish architect father a community activist grandmother and twin brother to scarlett johansson he's on a mission to save lives through renewable energy is this week's guest hunter johansson in part one hunter shares his experience of growing up in manhattan the values passed on to him by his family friends and mentors and finding his path and purpose in life through building community and social activism. In part two, Hunter explains his NGO's mission to save lives in hurricane-hit regions by installing solar power units in first responder, fire and police stations, and how he co-founded Solar Responders with London-born, Las Vegas-based fire captain Richard Burt. Hunter discusses his mission to help the disadvantaged people of Puerto Rico, still devastated by the 2018 hurricane, and his vision to extend the renewable technology to other regions threatened by the ever-increasing risk of life-threatening hurricanes and climate change. Finally, we cover his principles, his influences, and his impossible advice. I hope you enjoy the thoughtful, humble, yet indomitable spirit of Hunter Johansson. Hunter, welcome to the Impossible Network podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Great to be sitting down face to face with you here at ACAS today, not at Neuhaus. Yes, it's uh, it's good to be in Manhattan. Good to be here and on this fine winter's morning. Mm. Well, let's get started. So, as you probably know from uh, if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, we always start with upbringing, but we like to get into understand more about your childhood. So maybe we could start with. Where you grew up, I believe it was New York. Yes. So this is a great first question. Family is so important to me. It, it's my guiding light. You know, I, I have um, two sisters, one of them a twin sister and an, and an older brother and an older half brother. And we're, we're a really tight unit. And and it just makes up, it's such an important part of my life. People often ask me like, so what do you what do? you do? Like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, well, I hang out with my nieces. I hang out with my family. But uh, yeah, we all grew up here in Manhattan. So we're, we're native New Yorkers, grew up in the West Village. It's, it's nice to be close to the water. So I, I grew up, you know, going, hanging up on the river before Hudson River Park was there. So... That was that was a, a big part of my life. Yeah. And mom and dad, Car- Karsten and Melanie, I believe. Yes, yeah, so my dad. He's from he Co- Copenhagen. Copenhagen, great yeah. city. He's, yep, a great city. I've, I was there once when I was like fourteen. And my mom's from the Bronx, and they met in Copenhagen, and then ended up coming back to New York in nineteen seventy. When you know, when the the city was a very different yeah. uh, place. So. Yeah, and then started, you know, raised a family in New York in the West Village. So, so I've got to ask a question. Yeah, please. When it's Denmark versus the USA at soccer. Ooh. Oh, it's a tough one. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I you know, my, my, my roots are in, are Danish and, and who, you know, everybody loves an underdog, even though, you know, the Danish team is good, but I got to go USA. It's, it's, oh. it's tough. I know <laughs> it's a real, it's real tough, but USA all the way. I got to. All right then. Okay. So. Your father, I believe, is an architect, mm-hmm. and your mother, a producer. 
Yeah, my dad, he's a trained architect, went to school in Copenhagen, School of Architecture. When he came to New York, it was a tough market. You know, the economy wasn't wasn't good, so he got into construction and uh, was a construction manager for a long time. Started his own co- construction company. My mother, producer, managed my sister for since she was seven. So that was that was her trajectory. Yeah. All right. So you've been on a very interesting journey, mm. and now having significant impact on people's lives, and particularly in the Caribbean. We'll come and talk about. If you're reflecting on your parental support and the guidance he gave you, how has it affected the direction you've gone in your life? I mean, your sister clearly has gone in a very different direction and has made an impact in her own right. Yeah. Um, and for our listeners that maybe don't know and haven't done the research, you you have a bit of a celebrity sister who's called Scarlett. Scarlett Johansson, my twin sister. Your twin sister. Partner in crime. There you go. That must be a fun night out when the two of you get going. Yeah, we've been, yeah, we hang out. When we go out, we go out. We've, you know, we, we travel together. We're a huge part of each other's lives. We're in constant communication. Yeah. So what about your parents? What what impact do you think they had, both your father and your mother? Because everyone we speak to, their parents have different roles mm-hmm. in terms of the, the child's upbringing and, yeah. the, and the impact on the direction that they've gone. Yeah. And there always is an impact. There definitely is always an impact. My mother was a full-time mom, and I think her biggest attribute was building this community, this family unit, and keeping it together for as long as she did. My mother, she's a great nurturer. She's she's extremely loving. And, you know, there, there were, we, we, you know, growing up in the city and growing up not a wealthy family for by any means, there's hard times. And she was able to really carry us through that and shielding us, I, I can say, because... New York is tough. And for, the, for you know, those who are new to New York, New York was very different in the 80s. And it took a very thick-skinned person for, to bring a family unit through that. My father, you know, he was a very loving man. He, he worked, worked hard for his family, did what he could through his faults. And I think he, he taught me how important family is how important you know brotherhood and sisterhood is and to this day i think family is the, is the most important thing and supporting each other is the most important thing how do you think your character i mean you, you're a twin obviously but um the youngest of in the family right how do you think that's impacted you in terms of the the, the direction mm-hmm. you've gone or your self-perception and your view of the world yeah uh, it's a, I like that question. I had a conversation um, with a friend of mine. She's a middle child, and, and she was saying how the second born is kind of a bit forgotten. Yeah. And, and she was saying to me how I'm the baby, and like the baby always gets the most attention. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to share that with my sister. We were happily share it with my sister. We shared everything. And, and so I, I think I, I started my life my literally you know started my life from day one having to compromise having to collaborate having to listen having to acknowledge that i'm not the only one around here that i'm not the most important you know and and so i had kind of a different perspective and i also had the perspective of my older siblings you know my older sister vanessa uh, she's a mentor she's she's someone i just look up to a lot and she was she was a guiding force in my life through through things that my parents didn't have the most input on, like, 
you know, things like college applications or, you know, just like li- the life things that we go through with school mm-hmm. and work and and so on. She was always there for me and always told me how much that meant. And how much older is she? Five years. Okay. Yeah. So she has one daughter and then she's due in like two weeks with my nephew. So. She's local, New York. As she's well. local, village as well. And uh, so I get to see my, my, we're all local actually. So I get to see my, my nieces and, and soon to be nephew nice. all the time. I have full access, which is, which is great. What does she do? She's a full, she's a mom. She does voiceover work. She went to school at Hunter College for social work and many different interests. She's, you know, she cooks, she's into art. She's an amazing mom. She's an incredible, my niece is, is a genius at three and a half, soon to be four. And yeah, my, my, and then my older brother, who's eight years older than me, he's, he's, he works in real estate. He and his wife had a daughter about 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. I was a beautiful girl, beautiful baby girl. And, you know, my brother, he's he's taught me so much about people and respect for people and, and making sure that I live life to the fullest and, and really challenging myself. You know, my, my brother is, is such a ha- happy-go-lucky, positive person um, and with a great sense of humor. And, and I think that's all. He has a very dry sense of humor. He gets that from, you know, being Danish. And, <laughs> and so I think I learned a lot of my humor from my brother, which is, which I think is extremely important to, you know, just to have in life, just be able to laugh and smile. Nice. Well, growing up in the West Village mm-hmm. and knowing, for people that don't know the West Village, obviously on the west side of, towards the lower end of Manhattan, is by the river, as you mentioned earlier. But you talked about in the 80s, it was a very different city. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I was growing up running around in fields in sort of the west and north of Scotland and climbing trees. I suspect you didn't really have that level of freedom at that time in, in New York. So what was play like? Play was like... I mean, obviously uh, you had your brother we, and sisters. and Yeah. You know, my so my brother was, you know, eight years older. So when I was seven he was 15 you're you're kind of in a different place and especially in the 90s in the city at that time play was you know yeah what i loved about the city was that you had to go seek it you know you had this environment this concrete brick environment there's much more green now that didn't exist you know when i was growing up you know you had playgrounds um which you know my mother brought me to a lot in um in the in central park my grandmother would take me to my sister and i to brighton beach to coney island you know we got exposed to nature in that regard yeah. Uh, but you had to go. See, you had to get out there. You know, in, you, in couldn't, you couldn't just fall out. You couldn't just door. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you couldn't just drive there because we didn't have a car. So you had to take a bus to a train to a bus to get to the beach. So that was that was an effort. You know, walking out of your house, you kind of had to play. You had to make your environment like play with it. It was uh, and, and make it your own. So if there was like a a staircase or like a a courtyard or something you would play you know you would play like you would bounce a ball against the wall with friends and make a game up you know i think probably similar to a lot of cities i'm 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 grateful for those times because it made me really appreciate when i was in nature mm-hmm. we would go upstate you know in, in the summertime to lake george or whenever i was in a park you know i would take full advantage of the trees and climb them and really enjoyed those moments when i was in nature because it was it wasn't every day 
And what was school like for the young hunter? In elementary school was in the village with my sister and we we were in class together up until sixth grade and the one that's on the corner of Greenwich Street. Eleventh and sixth. Eleventh and sixth, right, okay. Yeah. The good old PS forty one. It was my school was very diverse, so there was, you know, backgrounds of all kinds, which is very different from what it is in the village today. It was very inclusive and I loved elementary school. I mean, it, my, my teachers, I think that school was just so special. And at, at a time where, you know, the city in the 90s was going through this, like, cultural revolution almost. And, then you know, the 90s were just a great time to be in the city and especially in the village, which was full of, you know, creativity. Mm-hmm. So what, when you were at school, I mean, most people we speak to had a, a little sense of well, some people don't, but some do have a sense of where they're going in life. Mm. What were you thinking at that time? So when I was when I was a young lad, yeah, we hunter, a wee, <laughs> a wee boy. I I remember, man. I was when I was like eight or you know around there, ten. I, I wanted to be a brain surgeon, and so I remember my okay. I asked my mother. I was like, I want to be a brain surgeon. She bought me a book on brains on the brain. And I memorized the three parts of the brain, and I was, like, super into that. I remember r- really enjoying the Discovery Channel so uh, and PBS, but, but, but I loved looking at shows about nature and trees and, and photography and just kind of, it was just natural. I remember in the parks that we went, to, I loved the trees. You know, I was a you know, small person um, looking up at these big trees in, in Central Park, my encounters with wildlife were dogs, cats, and rats. But I was never, like, fearful of that, you know? It sounds kind of weird, but I actually was interested in watching rats in New York City, like, how they survived and how they were living. And, yeah, the city was just such a good introduction to the the natural and human world i'm i'm just so grateful for the time here and and just to be able to brought being brought up here the the journey you've taken whether we call it social entrepreneurship philanthropy what set you on that journey was there anyone particular that was either a mentor or an influencer when you were growing up that started to change your your perspective on the world and the problems that so many people suffer yeah. An encounter. You know, I really have to credit, I have to credit my parents, my siblings, my family, my grandmother, who exposed me to people's, everyday people, you know, and to appreciate everyday people and their stories and, and observing. I, I think one thing that, that you know, I, I can't, I don't know who to attribute it to. I, I really enjoy observing and and watching my environment and, and taking in my environment. And, and so it was kind of like a natural, and I guess, you know, my, my parents and my siblings, my, you know, my grandmother realized that. And they, so they introduced me to, to many different situations. And I just think through that, I was able to gain empathy, mm-hmm. you know, having an understanding of, of some, in some part of what somebody is going through. And, and that carried me to this day. And it'll carry me throughout the rest of my life. And I have to thank New York for that, to be honest. It's not the only place that you gain that, but but it was very helpful. My desire to to expand that, to grow my, my influence outside of New York was in college, and I'm, that's where I went to Vermont. Mm-hmm. 
UVM in Burlington, and I, I got exposed to the natural world in a big way. It wasn't just... What were you studying there? Started off environmental studies, and I think my it was my junior year, so when I switched majors to environmental economics, the specific major is community development, applied economics, but I was studying environmental economics. And I, I knew that I wanted to impact the, the planet and, and nature and protect something that was so sacred and, and vital for, for us. So I understood that, that the best way to impact that was through the human environment. Mm-hmm. So while studying plants and, and shrubs was super interesting in Vermont, I, I wanted to bring it back to a human element because that's where I felt, you know, affecting people w- would allow me to protect the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I read or heard somewhere that your grandmother, I believe Dorothy, yeah. was a bit of an activist. Um, she was. very sort of conscious of community and, and fought for affordable housing program back mm-hmm. in the city. So obviously social impact activism is something that's part of the... Your Hanson family, yeah, to a certain degree. Yeah, it is. It's a big part of our upbringing. You know, pol- I mean, political conversations were always in, big in our household. Not necessar- that doesn't necessarily mean that that people are activists. Yeah, my gr- my grandmother was very active in her community, and and even growing up, you know, just saying hi to her neighbors, saying hi to the to the door person, saying hi to the janitor. Um, seeing people, um, respecting them, wanting to elevate them mm-hmm. and empower them. I, I read all of that just just by just by her saying hello to people. It, you know, it was the way she it was her intent to 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 do that to empower people. But she was actually yes, she was a an organizer for Mitchellama Housing in the seventies, and you know she she grew up in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Hard, yeah, no, yeah. tough. You know, in the fifties, she taught special education for twenty-two years, and she moved to Hell's Kitchen. I believe in the early seventies, if not late sixties. I might be wrong there, but but for she lived in Hell's Kitchen for about forty years um, on Fifty First Street, and and Hell's Kitchen was a very yeah, very, very different. different. Like it was a lot of mafioso type people who were on the take in some way, and the housing situation there was was controlled a lot by non-governmental groups however you want to put it and so my, my grandmother had to you know fight for her livelihood and 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 ultimately for her neighbor neighbor's livelihood as well mm. have you it was called hell's kitchen it was called, called hell's kitchen for a reason mm-hmm. right you know and, and that name as you know cool as it sounds had a really negative connotation yeah even in the in the you know late eighties nineties when I'd visit my grandma, it w- was a place that my grandmother held my hand it, tightly. It was not a salubrious neighborhood, that's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not the way it is now with Hudson Yards. So you just finished a master's as well in public yeah. administration. I saw on your Instagram feed. Yeah. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very happy for the start and finish of that degree. Yes. What made you do it? I was at the time, so this was um, thir- I just turned thirty-five two weeks ago, three week, two weeks ago, and so at the time I was I was in nightlife, I was in hospitality, and I was in that job for a few years, and it was 
eating at my soul. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, I was out late. I had great friends, great friends in the industry. It was, it was the uh, type of work I was doing. What group? I worked in a bunch of dive bars. So I was bartending. I, I worked in Miami for an amazing group down there. Who It's called Coyo Taco. Uh-huh. But I, what I loved about the nightlife industry and why I got into it was I got to meet people. Mm-hmm. And I got to engage people, hear their stories, something I really always loved to do. And it was fun. It was a really fun time. You know, I was in my late 20s, I was single. But after a few years, it, I was like, you know, what? this is not this is not what I'm meant to do. And I remember sitting, I was about, you know, 29, 30, sitting on my older sister's, Vanessa's, sitting on her sofa. And I think I, I just got out of a shift or something or, you know, got maybe a few hours of sleep and went to her place mm-hmm. the next morning. And and I would just look disheveled, you know, and I was like, Vanessa, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 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 lost right now. I'm. I'm you know, she um, broke out her laptop and she said, you're going to grad school. And I was like, all right, you know, literally <laughs> yeah. like like my hands up in the air. I'm so, so, so beyond grateful for that moment and for my family because um, I, I knew that my family was there for me and they'll always be there for me in those like really down, dark times. And she was like, listen, this is NYU. Like they, they don't require the GRE. I'm a terrible test taker. I did not do well in my SATs. I think my sister and I got the same score, actually, which is kind of funny. And so I applied, got in, and it was, to be honest, the best decision I've ever made. It brought me out of a very dark time in my life. And uh, some people will criticize academia, and I have my thoughts on it as well and opinions on it. But it, it brought me out, and it allowed me to see a whole world that I didn't know existed, social entrepreneurship, uh-huh. you know, nonprofit sector. It was it was a big gift and I'm thankful for it. How did you go from environmental studies into entertainment and nightlife? Yeah. I mean that's a strange sort of pivot. Yeah, you know, it's such a um interesting world. You know, the, and the city is full of opportunity. You know, there, there's something about some relationship between nightlife and philanthropy, business, social entrepreneurship, all, all of it, mm-hmm. entertainment. It, it kind of melts together in some ways. There's this innate urge, I think, in all of us to want to help, mm-hmm. to want to support each other. And it exists in in every sector, job sector, job, whatever it is, probably some more than others, for, you know, for sure. But but I think tapping into that, that was my draw. That was like my my pull, the pull that I felt was was this sector. There's special, amazing people here. And I want to see, uh, it was like this interest ever since I guess I was a kid to like explore, wanted to see what was there. And there there's so much value in bringing these sectors together. <clears throat> and just thinking about it now, it's 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 something I'm constantly reflecting on and thinking about how do these things meet. But there's a such a value in bringing people together and bringing people together around helping each other, helping the public, you know, whatever that is, supporting each other. It's why we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. I mean, I've heard you uh, say in some other interviews that mm. you believe that helping people is the core purpose of life. Mm. And that 
and aside from doing the work in entertainment and the work you've done, the environmental studies, you've also been quite involved in uh, community programs in the city itself with, I think, I believe Scott Stringer. Yeah. So the so the current controller, he, he's hopefully he will be the next mayor. You know, the one we have right now, I'm very displeased with and I'm very excited for 2021 to get Scott into office. We need somebody who's who's on the ground, who's listening to people, c- kind of all those attributes that I talked about mm-hmm. earlier. And I think I see so much in Scott, I, you know, my family and, and my, my grandmother and and he's a leader for for the people. I think throughout my my life and through, you know after my undergraduate degree and even during it, I saw the value of community mm-hmm. and always wanting to build community. And so I was always searching for that. I had community in in Scott's office, and he was the current Manhattan or the former Manhattan Borough President. You know there was community there. I worked on the Obama campaign and built an amazing community there. So. I had all these circles and when, you know, that, that moment in nightlife when I, you know, was there for a few years and I had this, built this, formed this amazing circle of, of people, you know, I, I think that there was this impetus for me, this urge for me to collaborate, you know, bring people together, build a, a new community around a mission that was aligned with everything well, something more purposeful. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah purposeful. I mean, beyond purposeful. It's central to to our our our, live, our literally our lives. So yeah, because you, um, after Hurricane Sandy, you collaborated with one of your friends, I believe, my buddy, your buddy, Is yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Sininsky from Rockaway, uh, native native New Yorker, native from you know Rockaway, Queens. He was telling after Sandy, you know, I was living in Chinatown at the time. If anyone doesn't remember Hurricane Sandy, it was 2012. Hurricane Sandy, October 29th, 2012. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina was 2005. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it hit New York City. Hit Um, New York City. Hit hit us. um, I was evacuated from my building. Where were you living? I was in the archive. Oh, you were in the archive. Yeah, with him. Wind, yep. it got flooded. Windows yeah. were blown in. It was it was pretty bad. It was it was terrible. Yeah. So my yeah my father was living down on on Washington Street at the time. So this was seven years ago. Yeah, and he you know we all had to we had to f- seek refuge. You know, I think we, they called us Sandy refugees, which was you know it was in for Manhattan. You know, I think and for people growing up there, we had places to to evacuate to. But if you were in Rockaway or Brooklyn, yeah. Far Rockaway, a lot of people couldn't leave and they were stuck. And, you know, my friend Mike, who's, you know, whose family still lives in Rockaway to this day, beautiful family. Mike had the means to bring his family out, but there was, you know, there was a 15 foot surge Surge, of water and, and people had to, you know, that people were on the the second floors of their homes. If they had second floors, you know, it was a very dire situation. And, and, you know, he was, he started this you know, he's a community builder himself and he started this, you know, collaboration with, with his friends and, and family and neighbors and and it turned into this nonprofit. And I, and that's when I got involved. I was like, Mike, this is an incredible opportunity to, to help the most disadvantaged at-risk New Yorkers. If you're born and raised in this city, you have a very close relationship with New York. It's just mm. it's an, it's a part of you. New York, even if I move, I never move away tomorrow. 
Um, I'm moving to Puerto Rico in three weeks. So if let's say I live in Puerto Rico the rest of my life, I will always have a, my heart will always be in New York. Yeah. Um, I will always be a Mets fan. And did you say Mets? Mets, yes. Not Yankees. You know, the Yankees are. I f- I feel like they they're an easy. Your mom's from the Bronx. Yep, my grandfather's from Brooklyn um, and Queens, and when the Dodgers left, all of us became Mets fans. Ah, well, there you yeah. go. Okay. And and my grandma's from Brooklyn too. So all the you know all the Dodgers fans were became Mets fans because the Yankees are the Yankees. You know, yeah. Who you know, yeah. I'm not even a New Yorker but I've been here nine years and I feel it's part of my DNA you're a New Yorker yeah nine years as a New Yorker it's getting there ten definitely I'll get the badge twenty twenty so yeah we have and Elaine's Elaine's what 2001 18 years wow so you're a New Yorker yeah for sure yeah if you live through that day and you're still here you're, you're a New Yorker Yeah, September 11th. That was, you know, I I think about September 11th almost every day. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, I was 17 at the time. Yeah, I can't imagine. We've had quite a few guests that have talked about it. Mm -hmm. I can't, it's post-traumatic. It it It, is. It it can, it can never, how can that event ever leave you? You know, I, I, yeah. And it's, it's not, it's, it's like, I am, it's a willingness though. You know, I, I think that event changed Every New Yorker's life and, you know, at my work with in Puerto Rico <clears throat> with first responders, I think about it all the time. I think about the 343 firefighters that died mm-hmm. and and risked and made the ultimate sacrifice for not only the city but for themselves. And I, I honor them every single day in my thoughts and in the work that I do in Puerto Rico. It is uh, it's a part of being a New Yorker. It's also just a part of being a human mm-hmm. and giving respect to those who who are willing to sacrifice their lives for us. It, it empowers me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a nice point to segue to solar responders. Okay, that's all for part one. In part two, we dive into the solar responder story and Hunter's vision for saving lives with renewable energy. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.